So I think the key to this, Daniel, is relationship before partnership. By going into the community and understanding the kinship, which is who are the families, who are the mobs, and how do they all relate to either service delivery or their community. And when you're doing all that, you're building companionship. And what the companionship does is starts to build trust because the different families will start to trust the pharmacist, they'll understand more about the pharmacist reaching out. And if we do all of that, we're actually doing very effective what we call culturally appropriate leadership. So it's relationship, partnership, kinship, companionship, and that's what we really encourage if a pharmacist is wanting to take a strategic approach to embedding their connection or relationships with their local Indigenous communities. Hi, I'm Johnny Riggs, cultural advisor to the Pharmacy Guild of Australia and proud Yorta Yorta and Gunai Kurnai man. And you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. This week is Reconciliation Week, an important time for Australians to learn about our shared histories, cultures and achievements and to explore how each of us can contribute to achieving reconciliation in Australia. The theme for Reconciliation Week, which is held from May 27th to June 3rd, is Be Brave, Make Change. It is a challenge to all of us to be brave and tackle the unfinished business of reconciliation so we can make change for all. Our community pharmacists can be leaders and connect with their local Indigenous communities and play a vital role in supporting Indigenous communities. There are fantastic opportunities to get outside of the pharmacy's walls and build relationships, attend community meetings, discuss your role, develop a community profile and learn about the community. To discuss the ways this can be achieved, I spoke with Johnny Briggs, Cultural Advisor to the Pharmacy Guild of Australia and proud Yorta Yorta and Gunai Kurnai man. With more than 25 years experience, Johnny Briggs is passionate about Indigenous culture, inclusion, employment and engagement, assisting organisations to be better equipped and confident in these areas. Here's Johnny. Welcome back to the podcast, John. It's great to have you as a guest again. Personally, I've been looking forward to catching up and having this chat for a little while now. So this year's theme for Reconciliation Week is Be Brave, Make Change. It is a challenge to us all to be brave and tackle the unfinished, the ongoing business of reconciliation so that we can make a change for all. What sort of advice do you have specifically for pharmacists about how they can be brave, make change and really connect with their Indigenous communities through their community pharmacies? Yeah, look, that's a great question, Daniel, and thanks so much for asking. I suggest that the first step for community pharmacists is to focus on education that will build not only their awareness, but their awareness will be turned into confidence by doing research around First Nations communities, cultures, peoples and histories to understand that uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all, that the communities are unique based on their location, their demographics, their geography um, and the dynamics of those communities. So I think it starts with education um, that allows the the pharmacist to understand more about uh, the challenges or the blockers and enablers to good outcomes in practice and what that means for the community as well as what it means for the pharmacy and the pharmacist. So I think it's really about education first, that 
builds the awareness, turns that into confidence, and then we can start to see some demonstrative outcomes by approaching the communities uh, uh, directly and looking at ways that uh, we can start to build relationships that uh, turn into partnerships and start to move the, the focus of leaving the pharmacy and actually working more out into the community, but also allocating time for that to happen. You talk about how education builds awareness and we need to go out and find information to build that education. Community profiling can be a big step on that front. Can you tell us a little bit about community profiling? And I'm interested in whether community profiling is a starting point for a community pharmacy or an anchor for those that have started, or is it something that's maybe done later on in the process and journey of connecting with Indigenous communities? Look, I'd always recommend, Daniel, that we always do it at the start to commence the journey. And the community profiling will naturally evolve through the referrals and connections that the pharmacist would achieve by the commencement of engaging with a community by profiling a little bit more about the targeted approach to that community. So who are the main families? What are the main services? Where are they located? When are they available to connect? So I'd always recommend that we do that at the start to approach a community and then that will absolutely evolve because the community will turn that into what we call the grapevine, which is they will refer you on then to other services because they'll understand what your intention is and hopefully what the expected outcome would be by connecting with the key families, the key services and the roles that exist in many uh, First Nations communities. I liked your framing earlier about education, awareness, confidence. Community profiling, as you describe it just there, sounds like a uh, an important step and it gives a community pharmacy direction. But to distill it a little, what would you summarise the benefits of community profiling being? If a community pharmacy undertakes community profiling, what can they expect from it? So if the community pharmacists is restricted by time, which all of us are in the busy world we're working in, the benefit of community profiling allows them to understand targeted time allocation so that we can make the time then to make a commitment to either attending, you know, uh, interagency meetings or forums that are Indigenous specific or specific to that community where there's Indigenous participation. So back in the 90s, I used to attend interagency meetings, and that might be from welfare agencies, government departments, um, mining companies. Whoever wants to come in and have a voice to a community would attend that meeting and they'd put their um, items on the agenda and they'd discuss and promote their work or their intention to work in a community or the continuity of that work. And one of the, uh, the considerations here is that by doing that, uh, you're also targeting specifically the time allocation around when are those services available? When do they operate? When do the families, the key families in those communities, do they attend those meetings? Or do I need to attend community family uh, functions in, in different settings, like it might be at NAIDOC or National Reconciliation Week events in the community, not actually through a service provider? So the community profiling really is beneficial uh, to give the pharmacist an understanding of building the relationship before the partnership. Because Ultimately, what this is all about is forming long-term sustainable partnerships. But often we get tied up with trying to meet the goal of the partnership and forgetting the importance of the relationship first that will establish the bonds of trust and transparency, which in many communities is very important because we want to build that trust early to be able to capture the goodwill of the pharmacist is obviously demonstrating by reaching out. 
So I think the key to this, Daniel, is relationship before partnership by going into the community and understanding the kinship, which is who are the families, who are the mobs, and how do they all relate to either service delivery or their community. Um, and when you're doing all that, you're building companionship. And what the companionship does is starts to build trust because the different families will start to trust the pharmacist. They'll understand more about the pharmacist reaching out. And if we do all of that, we're actually doing very effective what we call culturally appropriate leadership. So it's relationship, partnership, kinship, companionship. And that's what we really encourage if a pharmacist is wanting to take a strategic approach to embedding um, their connection or relationships with their local Indigenous communities. I think it's a pointed piece of advice, John, because you hit the nail on the head when we focus so much on the we have so many people advising us in business. What are the KPIs? What are your goals for this year? And it could be a misstep or absolutely would be a misstep to approach something like this and really focus on the relationship because we're trying to get you know, not only an outcome for our patients, but also for the business as a whole. And so getting tied up with the outcomes of the partnership first and foremost, as opposed to starting and focusing on the relationship and the trust that comes out of that it is an important point to make. So thanks for that. John, if people are listening to this and they think, this sounds like a great activity to help us engage with the Indigenous community better, what are three steps or so or three activities which can help them start the journey of community profiling? So firstly, create a template. And uh, we provide templates in uh, when we talk at the National Pharmacy Guild Conference every year at the Australian Pharmacy uh, Conference that's held on the Gold Coast. We actually provide templates to our participants to start the journey of populating the template around mapping the different services that might be available in their local community. So in other words, Daniel, what we're looking at is in the template, we would ask them to talk about the total Indigenous population? Um, is there a legal service, a medical centre, a housing company, a land council, a liaison officer in the state primary and secondary schools? Is there a kindergarten that's doing wonderful things with the community? So it's about broadening the scope of service provision and looking at ways that we can target uh, our relationship building with them. And often the KPIs and the timeframes put a lot of pressure on community pharmacists to meet the, dead the deadline and the timeliness. And one of the challenges there is working effectively in two worlds, which is the compliance of a KPI and a performance outcome needs to be met by a certain deadline because of reporting. But what often means then is that we do things very quickly just to meet the target and the outcome and not always think about the substance or the quality of the outcome. And back in the 90s, um, Daniel, we was, we had I worked in the government department and my role was to connect with the local uh, First Nations communities that I was working in. But often we used to spend time what we do, what we call professionally loitering. Now, I know that sounds like an odd term for many professionals and it's probably absurd to some people, but the professional loitering actually allowed people to suss us out, find out who we are and find out who we are as people first before professional. And that's one of the biggest things I would advise a pharmacist to do is show a bit of vulnerability, share a bit about yourself, who's your family, what's your favourite hobby, where do you love to travel, you know, what's your favourite place? Where did you grow up? And indigenise that by talking about the traditional custodians, where you grew up, where your favourite place to holiday is, what's your favourite footy team, your hobby, how many children do you have? Share a bit about yourself because our communities often just want to know who you are as a person first. 
before you are as a professional. Whereas often what happens is I think the, the goodwill of the pharmacist is I'm a pharmacist first, so that's how I'm going to act in community. And I think we need to disrupt that kindly by suggesting that maybe we could flip it around and talk about who you are as a person before you're a pharmacist. So that would be my advice there. There's a couple of steps in that, Daniel, and I hope it's been helpful for our listeners today to inspire them to flip it around a little bit and just be sharing a bit of vulnerability or simply what I say, connect with the power of humanity through empathy, kindness and compassion because that's what forms the bonds of trust. Again, a great point, John, because community pharmacists are first and foremost just people who are community members themselves and that shouldn't be lost on them. So so far you've spoken about some really positive things coming from community profiling, but not everything we do is smooth sailing. What are some of the, for want of a better phrase, traps for young players that community pharmacies should keep in mind if they want to start their community profiling journey and begin to engage better with the Indigenous communities to actually provide real value for everyone? Yeah, that's a great point you've raised there, Daniel. And I think um, when we are engaging in any community context, uh, whether professional or social setting, we've always got goodwill and that's the majority of the time. But one of the things about the goodwill is it can often be clouded by what we call gatekeepers. Um, So when we're approaching a community, it's important to not get trapped by what we call gatekeepers, um, which are often people that like to filter in the community engagement according to their terms. Um, And I think um, that can be often a very culturally respectful way to do it, but it doesn't mean it's always practical because uh, if, if a certain family or a group is not connected to the uh, to the gatekeeper dynamic, it means they're actually being excluded from the service provision. Um, and I think one of the challenges there is to understand who are the key families, what are the key services, and am I actually re- engaging with the whole community or just representatives from a community? And I think that's one of the challenges here is that um, we've just got to be conscious of gatekeeping and understanding that just talking to one family doesn't mean you've actually consulted a community. So, John, is community profiling an activity which can be done anywhere or everywhere? Is it something that can or should be done regardless of whether a community pharmacy is in a, a metro area or rural or remote location? Or is it maybe better suited or needed in certain areas? Look, I think it applies anywhere, Daniel, because it simply is about connecting with humanity. Um, And I think what we're looking at here is that you might work in a remote, rural, regional or traditional community, but there is some kind of infrastructure there that the community pharmacist can tap into, which is why we always recommend doing your research first. Do your preparation, understand the history of that community, know a little bit about the dynamics of that community. You know, is there you know, is there dynamics in that community you need to be aware of? Is there sorry business? Is there cultural law going on? Is there native title claims? Um, has there been recent unrest um, in, in some of the social arenas there? So really understanding the community before we approach them is absolutely something we'd recommend, which is why we wouldn't want to just focus on uh, a particular dynamic of, say, just rural or just remote, because every community has an opportunity to connect with a community pharmacist wherever they are. So, John, you make some amazing points and it's definitely an undertaking that's going to provide a lot of value for Indigenous communities but also help community pharmacists be better community members. If I'm a pharmacist, I'm listening to this, the podcast ends, and I think this is something that we should really take on. What can I expect in terms of time that I'll need to put into this to do it properly? 
Look, I guess there's no set script as to the time frame and the allocation to actually populate the template. But I'd always suggest to people a great starting point is local councils. So a lot of local governments are a wealth of information when it comes to is there an Aboriginal medical service, you know, legal service, land council, housing company, social welfare service. I would always suggest that as a great starting point. And there are demonstrative um, local government structures around Australia that do have wonderful resources that the pharmacists could start with. Uh, I would also suggest that it's as simple as just Googling what's available in that community. I don't think, Daniel, we should overcomplicate population of the template because most of those services I've just that we've discussed today do have websites, they do have web pages, and it'll give the the uh, pharmacist the opportunity to populate where they are, what I, what area hours do they operate, what services do they connect with the local community, and how the pharmacist could use that to piggyback off or partner with. Um, to be very targeted. And I think what you'll find the pharmacists will end up doing then is being referred to others. So one of the greatest things about our communities is we're like many minority communities or, or you know, diverse communities. We have a grapevine. So one family will tell another family about this person that they're talking to and that'll be the community pharmacist. And as soon as you get that, it's almost like a, a, a you know, a five-star guarantee of trust and faith that this person is a great person that I'd suggest that the mob connects with. So I don't think there's a, a particularly uh, specific time frame to allocate. Obviously, each community will be different in regards to the quantity of services that are available. But I would suggest, Daniel, it's just putting a couple of hours aside, populating it, or starting to populate it after you've attended some of the community meetings because you will start to be introduced to other services that will allow you to continue to populate. Great advice. John, you've worked in the space as a cultural advisor for around about 25 years. What are the improvements you've seen throughout your time in pharmacy and healthcare for Indigenous communities? I think one of the challenges here, Daniel, is that um, the closing the gap targets over the last 10 years have um, have not been met in many instances. And I think uh, that's that's a challenge for you know all levels of government as well as the broader population as to firstly, why are we not meeting those targets? What are the blockers that are affecting the enablers to evolve? Um, and I would suggest that a lot of that is is time allocation, um, but also the fear of getting it wrong. I think one of the challenges working in in uh, in you know diverse communities for people that are not from that culture or not from that background is the fear of getting it wrong or doing something wrong. And often that means that it affects people's practice to move forward. In other words, if I do nothing, I stay safe. And I think we need to start to acknowledge that where we can by having honest conversations that are firstly inspiring people to measure their good intentions and use that as the measurement of success rather than always focusing just on the outcome. Because in other words, Daniel, if we have good intentions but we get it wrong, well, that's called a learning opportunity. So let's learn from that and co-design solutions together by not telling Aboriginal communities what the solution is, but asking them to seek the solution together. So we focus a lot on co-design now, and that's the language that's used in many sectors because it's about doing things with, not doing things for Indigenous communities. But I think back to your you know, great question there, I think there's been some improvements um, but I don't think the data demonstrates that. But even the fact we're having this conversation today, Daniel, is a significant improvement um, around the fact that, you know, the, that the National Pharmacy Guild and the, and the pharmacy sectors really do take this space seriously, want to contribute, 
um, but want to know what does the roadmap for success look like? And I think what we also do is we offer one-page documents, which is a roadmap on certain touch points that allow a pharmacist to start strategizing their time allocation and resources on a journey. But that can fluctuate depending on the community, depending on the timing of the year. And I think there's a lot of complexities in there. But I don't want people to think that you need to um, what they what we would probably call analysis becomes paralysis. And I think that's one of the challenges is not to uh, complicate it. So quite simply, if people were to tap into you know the national Aboriginal you know community controlled health services, um, there's there's many different peak bodies that we could um, that we could connect with and talk to to find out more about how can we make those improvements that we keep talking about but just seem to be challenged to to be able to meet for the complexities and the reasons that we're discussing in today's podcast. John, what if we got specific because this space is still a journey, there's a lot of work still to be done and change to be made, but the challenge, the call is out there this year, be brave, make change. If someone is listening to this and decides to be brave to make change, they may be at the start of their journey or they may already be engaging well with the Indigenous community in their area. What sort of areas are there still opportunities to improve and impact change? And I think what I'm trying to ask there is, are there some areas or or, or groups where you think that is something that can be really affected easily if people focus on it and we make a concerted effort? It sort of comes back to, you know, where we started, Daniel, in today's podcast, which was about the power of education by understanding the history of communities, understanding, firstly, where did the gap come from between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians? How did that gap evolve? By understanding the gap, I think what that does is it allows us to understand how to respond to the gap by knowing how it evolved, because if we know the, the why, then we can start to plan the what and the how. And I think one of the concepts here is to also break down the myths and stereotypes that are existing in many uh, First Nations communities that have evolved from living under the framework of poverty. And it's actually poverty that we're dealing with often when we talk about community engagement. Knowing about our culture is really helpful, but gee, I tell you what, Daniel, it's really helpful to understand the consequences of poverty. And that I always suggest to community pharmacists is as pertinent research as knowing about our culture because if you understand the behaviours that evolve from the framework of poverty, what that does is it allows us to be brave and make change by responding to not just cultural considerations but working with people who are often living in poverty or who have been living in long-term intergenerational welfare and to understand the consequences of that. So I think it's more, it's a bigger picture than just understanding about our culture, but what happens to our culture, which is where poverty and culture, unfortunately, in some communities have been meshed. And I always suggest by being brave and making change is to separate poverty from culture and to understand what that looks like so that we can be more transparent and targeted in our approach to those communities. But also disrupting the myths and stereotypes by sharing fast facts or did you know questions with others such as did you know that Aboriginal people and First Nations people in Australia only became citizens of Australia in 1967? Now many people aren't aware of this Daniel so that allows people to reflect then they can acknowledge that and then we seek their response later. So I always say to people let's reflect, acknowledge and respond and I think one of the ways we can be brave and make change is to become positive disruptors which is if we hear 
you know, racism or discrimination about First Nations cultures, communities and peoples that as a change agent, what we can do is think about responding with kindness by using what and why questions such as, why do you think that? What did you say that for? What do you think the impact is? And using the what and why questions asks people to be more accountable for their behaviour and it holds a mirror up to them. And I think but one of the challenges with that that stops people doing it, Daniel, is that often people have a fear of losing their social capital, which is their popularity with their group or the peers around them. And that is being brave and making change. As I think about starting to wrap this up, I want to try and get you to summarise, to give a key message to take away. And in my brain while you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, he's mentioned so much great stuff, a lot of it's so practical, things that we can get on with. So I don't know how you're going to summarise it when I ask you, if you were to summarise our chat today, what is the most important message you would like the listeners to take away? Is, is that too hard a question? It's not, Daniel, and, and, and it's about capturing the goodwill. But I think what the Pharmacy Guild is seeking is taking goodwill and putting it into demonstrative action and outcomes. And I think the power of the way we message moving forward, the words that we use such as I always say, it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are learning opportunities. Um, I think we also need to stop using language like, oh, that's tokenistic or, you know, that's culturally inappropriate. If you do your research, you'll avoid tokenism and cultural inappropriation or being culturally inappropriate. Um, I always say doing something is better than nothing and try to encourage people to have aspirations or, or capture their goodwill by encouraging them to be okay with getting it wrong because that's a learning opportunity. So I always say to people, look, while we stay safe and do nothing, nothing changes. In actual fact, problems exacerbate and the problem continues. And it's not always about money. Money is not the solution. There's lots of funding out there for different programs and initiatives, but it's the way they're executed that I find needs to be uh, uh, challenged further around you know, how are we executing the funding that goes into, you know, um, Aboriginal programs? And often you'll find that it's not hitting the ground and it gets consumed along the way in other areas that aren't always having the desired impact and effect. But to, to simply summarise it today, Daniel, I think for pharmacists, we love the goodwill that you're um, seeking from listening to the podcast. We want you to turn that goodwill into demonstrative actions and be okay with making mistakes because mistakes are speed bumps they're not roadblocks. I'm like you, John. If the intent is good, no matter what we're doing, we can all work from that base. And if we make mistakes, we can figure it out as we go. If people want to find out more about you and the work you do, maybe get hold of those templates that you've spoken about, what can they do? Where can they go? I've noticed I don't need business cards anymore. If you've got LinkedIn, Daniel, you can just um, hit us up on LinkedIn. My name is Johnny Briggs. Um, I'm a proud Yorta Yorta and Gunai man and, and again it's been a wonderful uh, privilege and a, and a fantastic opportunity to reconnect with you today on the podcast but you can also hit me up on uh, my website which is www.johnbriggs.net.au or info at johnbriggs.net.au I look forward to you reaching out if you've got any thoughts, comments or questions from today's podcast, reach out I don't suggest I've got all the answers and I know everything, but I certainly will do my best to make sure we get a good outcome that inspires the community pharmacy sector under the National Pharmacy Guild to move forward in this space, particularly as they have a reconciliation action plan, which is aiming to demonstrate quality outcomes, um, not so much quantitative. And I think this is what this podcast can hopefully enhance.
Oh, listeners, I can speak from first-hand experience that John is very open to having conversations and if you're unsure about anything, he has a great way to frame a way forward and fill you with confidence to go forward and do good work. So John Briggs, Cultural Advisor to the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, thank you so much for finding some time to share your thoughts and experiences around connecting with our local Indigenous community. It's always a pleasure, Daniel. Thank you so much and happy National Reconciliation Week to everybody in 2022. Be brave, make change. Be brave, make change. What a great message and a real call to action. It is so important for our pharmacy network to build relationships with our Indigenous communities to support and connect and ensure all Australians have the vital healthcare access. And I hope that our chat with Johnny inspires you to be brave and make change in your community as well. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 98 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.